We are beginning a series this morning in uh, uh, Genesis about Isaac, and I hope you'll join us for every service. We'll do this both Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. Hope that you'll be a part of that. Uh, by the way, I want to remind you, did you all know that we meet on Wednesday nights? Did, did you know that? Okay. Well, it's good to have uh, everyone here together when the church body meets. All of God's children are, unless they're providentially hindered, they are to be here. And so we're grateful for your presence and attendance today. Open with me to Genesis chapter 21 and 22. And we're going to look at that um, this uh, morning from Genesis chapter 21 and Genesis chapter number 22. Uh, everyone on the earth uh, outside a corpse has got something that is precious to them. It may be a possession. Uh, it may happen to be uh, a relationship. Uh, it may uh, happen to be some dreams or a vocation. But everyone has got something that is precious to them. One of our heroes happens to be Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon was uh, a marvelous uh, young um, uh, Virginia girl that uh, was the most educated woman in the South back in about 1870. And she went to the foreign mission field in China, spent 40 years there. And one of her big challenges all those years was constant and persistent loneliness, terrible loneliness. It afflicted her. It was terrible. Uh, and it's not that she didn't have suitors or an opportunity to marry. In fact, she was engaged to a man by the name of Crawford Toy. He taught at the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He was a brilliant Hebrew scholar and uh, Old Testament commentator. He has a commentary that's still in publication today, uh, now uh, about 150 years after he first published it. But Crawford Toy began to imbibe of some liberal theology, liberal views about creation as well, both of the heavens and the earth and the Bible. He began to drift from God. Southern Seminary had to let him go, but just as soon as they let him go, Harvard University picked him up. And Lottie Moon's plan was to marry him. They were engaged. And uh, her plan was to leave the mission field in China and join him at Harvard and be a support to his service there. But she came to the conclusion that his views on the Bible and on the Christian faith had drifted and had uh, become sub-Christian in something other than the Christian faith. And she could not uh, embrace a man who had drifted from the Christian faith in that way. And so she broke the engagement with him. Uh, years later, she was back home in Virginia, and a niece asked her, she said, Aunt Lottie, have you ever been in love? And she said, yes, one time, but God had first place in my life. And because the two conflicted, there was no doubt about the result. The two conflicted, there was no doubt about the result. Oh, that all of God's children were the same way. She took what was very precious to her and she laid it before God and she suffered for it for the rest of her life. It's precisely what she did. Hey, I've got news for you. Do you know it is not a priority of God to make Christian people comfortable? It is not. In fact, we're going to find in this text that when there is something that we cherish and treasure... More than God in doing His will, God is going to find it, and He's going to identify it, and He's going to come after it. And that's what happened in Genesis chapter 21 and Genesis chapter 22. If we claim to belong to Him, then He has got to have first place in everything. 
And that's what God did with Abraham. Now, again, we've all got possessions and dreams and vocations and, and um, relationships that are very meaningful to us, but nothing, no, nothing is to ever be more preeminent than God and His will Himself. He is to always be number one. Not a, not a favorite worship time? Oh, no. Not, not a favorite style of worship? Oh, no. Not a favorite building? Oh, no. Not a favorite ministry? Oh, no. Not, not a favorite major? Oh, no. Not, not a favorite uh, or, or cherished or exalted romance? No. God and God alone. There's only room for one person at the top, and that is to be God and God alone. And God will battle and God will strive and God will labor in the Christian life until he's number one. If that's not happening with you, you've got good reason to question whether you belong to him or not. See, God only spanks his own children. And that is a sign that we belong to him. God only disciplines his own children. And, and, and that's what God does. And so he insists on being preeminent over all. Now let me say, if you cherish anything beyond him, anything greater than him, if anything is treasured above him, this text is for you in Genesis chapter 22. And let's just admit for a minute, quite frankly, this is a constant temptation. Uh, rooting out this desire of the human heart to have an idol other than God is something that is persistent. Oh, it's always persistent. It stay, it's sticky. It, it's got Velcro everywhere. And, and our souls have got Velcro everywhere. Our souls, because they're in sin and they are depraved and uh, they are in the condition that they are until we see Jesus face to face, that they are the kind that are sticky with idolatry. They are the kind that are um, infatuated with idolatry. And Christian people and church people will even use spiritual reasons spiritual reasons, to justify their own idolatry. We, we do that in the church. We do that in our families. We do that in relationships. We, we're, we're likely to do it just about anywhere. And we've got to be extremely careful, extremely careful, that we always stay in a position where God is the Lord of all and He is turning us into a people that are genuine disciples of Christ. And there's no better definition of that than Luke 9, 23. If anyone come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, the totality of the Christian life from beginning to end is to be one exercise of discomfort after another. You see, the comforts don't come until the other side. Now, in the midst of all of that, God comforts us. Oh, yeah, he certainly comforts us. But ladies and gentlemen, if we think that the church and the Christian faith is to make us comfortable and it isn't to press us and to stretch us, quite frankly, we're better candidates for a country club than we are a church. See? God won't have any of it. God says, we'll move forward. We'll stretch. We'll take up a cross. And I'm going to lay it upon you at all times. And a good pastor and staff will constantly do that with the congregation. Leadership will as well. Genesis chapter 22 then is the focus of this particular truth that we find in the text. Now, Abraham has gone through an awful lot of challenges. He has left Haran for 
Canaan. He's left a palace for a tent. He has dismissed Ishmael from his home in chapter 21. And that's not all. He has uh, gone through an awful lot of self-imposed conflict and difficulty in his life. I mean, it's one thing after another for Abraham. I mean, you would think after everything Abraham had given up that God would be done with him. But here he is, many years, many years beyond 100 years old. And look what God does in chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. That came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Isaac happened to be the son of promise. He was the one through whom God would make Abraham a great name, a great nation, and a great blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And we would be able to be grafted into that by faith in Jesus Christ. And in this way, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3, or Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 8, that the scripture preached the gospel beforehand with Abraham. So this is us. This is where we are to live. He wants to have all of our Isaacs. You see, it may be a job or a relationship, a vocation, a major, something religious or something else that is most precious and cherished to you. Here in this text, for Abraham, it happens to be his son. It happens to be his son. And God calls him here to lay him down as an offering before God. Don't be surprised if God is constantly doing that with you. And there are three truths you need to remember as God does that. First, God probes those who shield their Isaacs. There are some that, was something, that have something that is treasured and very special to them, and they're shielding it from God. God, I'll give you Sunday morning, but I won't give you my vocation. God, I'll give you Sunday night, but I won't give you my opinion. God, I, I give you Wednesday night, but Lord, I'm going to withhold to you my spending, is what uh, oftentimes they think. Now, no one ever comes out and admits I'm an idolater. You have to understand. Nobody walks up and says, you know, today I think I'm going to be an idolater. It, it is much more subtle than that. What happens is that the heart slowly and carefully, uh, almost imperceptibly, becomes attached to something greater than God. In other words, there is something that thrills us more than Him, something that receives more attention than Him, something that uh, uh, receives more defense in, than, than Him. In other words, we shield these things from God, and He is not over all. It, it may be pride. God is moving on your heart and saying, it's time to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ and stop relying upon your impressive religion and the virtue that some think that you have. And, and, and it's time to let go of that pride and say yes to Christ and come as a sinner before Jesus Christ and plead with him for mercy. One woman was in a pastor's office one day and um, she was uh, talking with him about coming to Christ and he was talking about the humility and the confession that we make to God that we need Christ, that we're going to bust hell wide open if we don't have Jesus in our hearts and lives, if we don't trust the cross and resurrection. And she said, you mean to tell me I've got to come to him just like all other criminals in the world? He said, exactly, you've got it. That's exactly how we've got to come. We've got to come before God abhorring our life outside of Jesus Christ. And when we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. He begins to raise us and make something new of us. 
You see, folks have got things in their lives that they are shielding from God, and Abraham did here in this text. He is shielding Isaac. He's not completely willing to do with Isaac what God wants him to do. And so the text says that uh, God told him in verse 2, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. The land of Moriah, according to 2 Chronicles 3.1, was the land eventually that um, uh, would serve as the place where Solomon would build the temple and slay animal sacrifices there on the altar. It is also the mountain range where Jesus was crucified for our sins. And here, um, here Isaac is offered there in that place. And that's what you have here in the text. And he says, offer him to me. Listen, God is perfectly free to make, God feels perfectly free to make us uncomfortable to put us in the place where we lay our Isaacs down before him. Entirely free. And the text says in verse 1 that God was testing him, trying to expose to Abraham the quality of his love and faith in him. Now, God was performing a test, not because God needed information. God knew exactly where Abraham's heart and life happened to be. Oh, no, God didn't need information at all. God knows everything, but Abraham didn't. And so whenever there is something in our lives that we treasure and that we cherish more than God himself, God will identify it, and God may make us uncomfortable and begin to probe us to help us um, Uh, view and see exactly where it is we are with him and he'll move us forward in that way hey listen if you really want to follow Jesus you want God doing this in your life constantly this is what you want you long for it because you want to know You, you see you have to understand this you got to understand this God does not merely want a place in your life with other competitions God does not merely want prominence with other prominent alternatives. God wants preeminence in your heart and life. He wants to be first in life. And until he is that way in your heart and life, God may very well probe you in your heart and life about what you are to do with him. And and, and so when your faith is tested, it ends up being worth something. Reminds me of a woman that was in the hospital the night before her surgery. And she's there. Surgeon comes in. He says, how are you feeling? She said, well, I'm nervous. It's my first surgery. He says, well, I'm nervous too. It's mine as well. (laughs) You know, you'd like for something important to be tested, wouldn't you? Well, that's how God will do us until he is preeminent in, number one, in trust and in life. So God probes those who are shielding their Isaacs. But there's a second truth, and that is God preserves those who suppress their Isaacs. Beginning in verse number 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb. For a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order 
And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for the burnt offering instead of his son. Now this is remarkable. There's an awful lot of wow in this text. You've got Isaac marching up to the top of Moriah with Abraham after a three-day journey. And he's there, and he discovers all of a sudden he's the burnt offering. Now, Isaac is younger than Abraham. Isaac is faster than Abraham. Isaac is stronger than Abraham. And yet he obeys, and he gets on top of the wood. This is not only an enormous test of Abraham's faith, this is a big test of Isaac's faith as well. And he lays him on that altar. And Isaac cooperates completely with his father. He does so. And in the midst of the ceremony, the angel of the Lord, who I think was a pre-Bethlehem manifestation of Jesus Christ, intervenes and says, don't touch the boy. Now it's apparent Now it's apparent you will not withhold the most treasured and the most cherished thing in your life away from me. And just at that moment, God provided a ram. Now it's interesting. As Abraham and Isaac were going up one side of the mountain, that ram was coming up the other side of the mountain and happened to land in a thicket and got entangled in it at just the right time, at just the right moment. Because as Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide for himself a lamb for the offering. Or in this case, something better, a ram, something bigger, something stronger. And that is precisely what God did in the text. Isaac has got to be put in his proper place. Isaacs of any kind have got to be put in their proper place. Anything that is cherished or treasured in our lives is an Isaac, and those Isaacs have got to be put in their proper place, and there is only one thing for the possessions that we, only one place with the possessions that we have. One place for our relationships, one place for our vocations, one place for our dreams, and that's on the altar, and that's the only Christian place to put them. They are always at the disposal of God, and God can do anything He wants with him. In fact, we go so far as to say, dear God, feel free to do anything you want to with my Isaacs in life. Now, what's remarkable here, another wow in the text, is the provision of this ram. And calling Abraham to step back from sacrificing his son. So Abraham did not have to go through the sacrifice of his own son. In other words, God gave Abraham and God gave Isaac relief at the point where he would not give himself and Jesus Christ any relief. That's precisely what he did. So he led Abraham and Isaac off from the sacrifice. He wouldn't let himself or Jesus off from the sacrifice. 
Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. And God the Father told him no. And Jesus went to the cross. Romans 8.32, the apostle Paul said, God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. So while God allowed Abraham and Isaac some relief, he did not allow him any relief. He loves the world. He loves you. He wanted you to have a substitute that paid in blood and death for your sin and for mine. That is precisely what he did. That's why he gave Jesus. He loves you. And if you were to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ today, he would save you and cleanse you. And Jesus Christ would become a substitute for you, just like the ram was for Isaac. That's what God does with those who suppress their Isaacs, who suppress that temptation to make someone else or something else number one. And at the end of the message, we'll give you that opportunity. We'll sing a song. We're going to invite you to give your heart and life to Christ and say yes to him and, and trust that Jesus Christ is the substitute for your sins. But there's a third truth to learn, and that is this. God not only probes those who shield their Isaacs, and God not only preserves those who suppress their Isaacs, but God also prospers those who surrender their Isaacs. Can you imagine the joy and the relief that Abraham has? Hey, look with me in verse number, um, verse number 14. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord... It shall be provided. This became a proverb. This became a proverb among the Hebrews and the Jews. God provided on Moriah, which means God's going to provide for you as well. There's enormous relief. There's enormous joy. But that's not all. There's also a fresh word from heaven, from God. He says in verse 16, the Lord says to him, By myself I've sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. So there's blessing promise. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore. So there's a multiplication of descendants. And then third, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. There's conquering and preeminence with the descendants of Abraham. And then in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And that's true today. Your presence... And if you know Christ as Savior and enjoy His salvation, is the fulfillment of that very promise. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That we've been able to come to Jesus Christ and receive the gospel is the fulfillment of uh, verse number 18. God prospers those who surrender their Isaacs. Jesus would later say, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Listen, let's make one thing real clear here. You and I are incapable of creating prosperity like God can create it. Most of the time, most people just think of financial prosperity. May I say to you, plead with God to do something in your life to where you have prosperity that goes beyond finances and possessions. Let me tell you something. Some of the most miserable people in the world are those who have only prospered financially. 
Some of the happiest people in the world are those who've never prospered and live paycheck to paycheck, but they know Jesus. They're on their way to heaven. They've got a loving marriage. They've got a loving family. They're making an impact for Jesus Christ. Those are the happy people that are prospering. Hey, plead with God to create within you a total prosperity. And that's what happens here in the text. God prospers those who surrender their Isaacs. That's what God does. Only God can create total, comprehensive prosperity in someone's life. Someone came up to a missionary one time and said, you know, I'd give anything. I would give the world if I could have the joy you have. He said, good, because that's what it cost me. And that's what it's going to cost you to give everything to God. Your self-will, your opinion, your mindset, your entertainments, your relationships, everything in life given to God, properties, vocation, dreams, vision, everything given to God in life. And when that happens, God has a hold of your Isaacs and he prospers them greatly is what the text teaches us and God assures us of it. Now listen, let me make real clear to you. God is not expecting something from us that he's not willing to do himself and that he has not first performed. I want you to notice in the text, Abraham offered his son, but the father offered his son as well. Isaac carried the wood up to the top of Mount Moriah. Jesus carried the cross of wood. Isaac was laid on the altar. Jesus was nailed to the altar of the cross. Abraham was willing to put his son to death. The father willed that his son should die. The ram was offered in the place of Isaac, Christ was offered in the place of sinners. Abraham received his son back and he returned. Jesus literally rose from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a gospel message. This is not only what we're to do. This, we're to do this, but that's a second step. This is not only what we do. This is what God has done in Jesus Christ. And this is the provision he's made for the world and invites everyone to repent and place faith in Christ. What does it mean to repent? Well, it means to reject. To reject. To reject anything that's keeping you from Jesus Christ. Do you have an Isaac that's keeping you from Jesus Christ? Reject it. Put it in its proper place. Oh, it may be something entirely wholesome and good. It may not be sinful at all, or it may be. Put it in its right place. Suppress it. Set it aside. And move it out of that first place in life and put Jesus Christ there. That decision, that decision is to repent. The Bible says, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. And then trusting, trusting, rely only on his work on the cross to be the work that saves you and makes you right with God. Our, our religious works are not all that impressive. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteous works are as what? Filthy rags, just a dirty old nasty rag. And the Hebrew there is pretty gross, to be honest with you, and I won't get into it right now, but a dirty, nasty rag. That's what our works are like. The work of Jesus Christ, however, when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, is precious and cherished to God. God would say of him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He pre-certified everything in Jesus' life and ministry there. God will accept that in place of your righteousness, which does not exist. 
he will accept that in place of sin. If you will repent and rely only on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, you've got the opportunity to do that today. We're going to have staff standing here in front in just a moment. We're going to invite you to come and say yes to Jesus Christ. And uh, if you do, God's going to come through and God is going to do a neat work in your heart and life. Others of you have already done that and you need to follow Christ in baptism. Uh, There is uh, no better thing for a Christian than to take that first step of obedience. Never, ever be satisfied until you are baptized precisely the way Jesus was baptized. We'll do that for you. Others of you need to come become part of Beach Haven. Not only move your letter, but move your life here and uh, offer yourself as a servant to God. Someone is going to follow him and constantly put their Isaacs in their place. There may be other decisions today, but quickly stand with me, please. Let me pray for you, and we're going to sing. Father in heaven, we thank you in Jesus' name for the opportunity to serve you. We honor and bless your name. Thank you that you have demonstrated for us.